0: Welcome to the next edition of Unsung Musicians Behind the Headline Legends with my very, very special guest, bassist, extraordinaire recording artist and the consummate musician, Sean Michael Ray. Hey, Sean, how you doing?
1: Hey Tony, thank you for having me.
0: I am so happy that you had time out of your busy schedule. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna make time for you. Oh, that's so awesome. I really appreciate it because you know, I've been running like a lunatic. But I'm trying to get around to everybody, you know, all my uh favorite musicians and even people that I haven't met yet. So It's a it's a journey and it's it's fun. I'm learning even more about some of you guys that I ain't even know. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. Like, okay, I knew that you were, you know, you were a a Birmingham, Alabama native, but I did not know that your mother was a Holiness Church organist. No, I didn't know that. And your father was a renowned bass guitarist himself. So that just really ran in your family.
1: Yeah, yeah. My mom still. She's still a minister of music at that same church.
0: Wow! Uh,
1: my grandma played piano as well. Whoa! So, uh, you know, and even though my dad, who's he's been deceased since 2010, but he was the man in his day on bass guitar, and I never took a lesson or anything from him. Never really saw him play. Wow! It's funny how it's funny how those things can be in the genes. Yeah, and you just you just end up carrying the mantle. From from your parents,
0: isn't that something? Uh, yeah. Well, at least you know where yours came from. Okay, so you started out playing trombone. I didn't
1: know yeah. that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you always want as a kid in elementary school, you always want to play some kind of instrument. You know, yeah. the instrument that practiced you, you was the saxophone. Right, and. And all of the kids wanted to play saxophone. So the band teacher told me, no, we don't have any uh, more spots for saxophone. So you need to play this trombone. He <laughs>
0: said <So, laughs> so you need to play the trombone, either yeah, whether you yeah. liked it or not.
1: <laughs> right. That was the only seat they had available. So I ended up doing that. And, you know, as you get, get a little older... You know, you're watching Soul Train, an American bandstand, and you're seeing what instruments seem to be the most popular. And I was just always attracted to the bass. Wow. And once I saw Verdine with Earth and the Fire, it was a rap. I was like, okay, yeah, I wow. got to do that for the rest of my days.
0: Oh, and you know, it looks good on you. It's like you were just born to play that instrument. I was just going to say, um, I know you were very, uh, heavily, you know, um influenced by Earth Wind and Fire and uh Birding's playing because he he's um you know kinda animated on stage, you know, in, in a good way. Uh, kind of. Well yeah, kind of. And, and so are you. In a good way. I and mean, you are so fun to watch, so animated and you can play. That's a man, that's a great combination. So yeah. did you get a chance yeah. to meet uh Birding?
1: Yeah, I've had a chance to meet him on a couple of occasions. Uh, Tell me about that. The first time I met him, um, they were doing the Touch the World tour, and I was just following them all around the country. (laughs) Um, They played Birmingham, and I saw him here at the Civic Center, and then they played, because this was some years ago, so I know saying the Omni will probably date me. (laughs) But uh, I saw him the Omni in Atlanta, and then that same year, for the third time, I saw him in New Orleans at the uh, Budweiser Superfest. Yeah. And I was walking down Bourbon Street, and here comes Philip Bailey, Maurice White, and Verdeen White walking down Bourbon Street.
0: O-M-G. And, and at that moment, I was like, okay,
1: it's now and never. Oh, wow. So I just, you know, it wasn't like they had security out there. You know, they were just being regular folks. Yeah. So I just went up to him and did my normal fanboy stuff. Mm -hmm. Told him how big of a fan
0: I was and, you know, loved his plan. Like, really quick. Right.
1: And I didn't hold him up. Right. And he just said, thank you, brother. And he shook my hand. And and then there were a couple of times at the NAMM show in California that I actually got a chance to meet him and take a picture with him. So mm-hmm. you know, it was just real, real short instances, but but it was real cool seeing yeah. it seeing inspired you to play the instrument in so person.
0: Did he ever get to hear you play?
1: Uh, not that I know of. Okay. I mean, you know, you know, with social media, you don't know if somebody ever came across you playing or not. I you know. know. But but not
0: that I know of. Okay. Well, but, but you still got to meet one of your bass heroes, so that's all good. And you know, that's a trip because I've been everybody I've talked to so um so far has had the same kind of story of someone that influenced them. And yeah, and that's yeah. just so awesome to hear that, you know. And and thank you for sharing that. And okay, so you started out at age fifteen, your first instrument was the trombone, then you got your first bass. Okay, so yeah. and, and the rest the rest is history. I mean, you one of the best in the business. That's why you played with folk like Max Will. Okay. Gerald Albright, Alex Bouillon, Norman Brown, Sheila E. Just to name a few, John Wait. Wait
1: a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? I also played with this incredible artist named Tony Red. Oh <laughs> Straight from the Heart, two thousand four. Oh, thank you. In the Kill Red, two thousand nine, catching the red eye, two thousand thirteen. Oh,
0: red it's 2015. Come on now. Whoa, God, that's true. <laughs> really, you really? Wow. Now I'm blushing. <laughs> wow. And yeah, we we have our own little history. You know that I could just go on and on about you, but I want you, you know, to, to, the people to to hear about you know you coming from you because you know well one thing about you, Sean, you are very approachable. You're not one of those cats that that you see. You know, a lot of people know who you are because of what you do and the greatness that you are. Uh, But you're not one of those people that you can't come up to and you're scared because, you know, you got a reputation of not being that nice guy. So, you know, and I love the way you, you know, you address your fans, your many followers and stuff. And that's just a good thing. So that's that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know any other way to be. I'll tell you another little story. When I was 18. Uh, I heard of, I mean, a good friend of mine named Sean Azan, who's an yes. awesome keyboard Yes, he uh, is. Uh, we, we were some, some young teenagers, you know, and we heard about this band coming to Birmingham to play. And he, he said, yeah, man, I heard that this, this group, man, they, they've they been around for a little bit. This is in the 80s now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I think they I think they're called the Yellow Jackets. <gasps> you know, we were like, the Yellow Jackets, okay, let's go check them out. And so, and this was the original Yellow Jackets lineup. Russell Ferrante, Jimmy Haslip, Ricky Lawson, and um, Mark Russo on sax. Ooh. And we didn't know anything about them. We just, these guys, you know, we went to see them play a little concert. It might have been 40 people in there. Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't a real real big deal or anything like that. So I remember, but I knew who Jimmy Haslip was because as a bass player, you know, I was already influenced by him because he played on Gino Vonelli's records with a ShockerCons band at one time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, after the show, I, we got a chance to meet these guys obviously because there weren't a whole lot of people there. And so I remember going up to Jimmy and the kind of basses he was playing at the time were these basses called Tobias made by Mike Tobias. And I had only seen them in magazines. Wow. <laughs> that was my first time being one in person and I was like oh my god let's buy his bass in person and I'll never forget he picked the bass now this is probably like a $3,000, $4,000 bass. Right. I'm 18 years old. He picks the bass up and hands it to me and says hey man check it out. Wow. And I just never that that sticks in my heart to yes. this day of how nice he was. Right. I mean this guy doesn't know me from Adam. I'm a young kid. He's treating me like I'm a family member. <laughs> you know, and he just talked and talked, you sweetheart of a cat. And it was like, I had to say, I had to tell him I had to leave. Wow. And every time I've seen Jimmy Haslip, he's been that way. So the blueprint for how to treat somebody that may admire what you do right. was always Jimmy Haslip for me. But he made he made me feel like I was one of his family members. And I said from that point on, I said, anybody that comes up, I don't care if I'm tired, I don't care if I'm ready to go, I'm going to make them feel the same way he made me feel.
0: That is, see, now that's what's up. That's a beautiful story, is it's touching. But see, that was meant for you because that, that also changed your destiny. Um, as far as your attitude, your energy toward people. And he was kind of like passing the torch, letting you know, you know, you're you're one of the great ones as well. You have people that's going, you know, uh, admire you and like, Sean Ray, you know, the same thing. Isn't that awesome? <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, I don't even think he, <laughs> I don't even think he was thinking about me being a musician. He was just being a nice dude. He's just a I nice know. dude.
0: I know. <laughs> yeah. You know? See, I just believe that those kind of things, uh, it's like fate It was supposed to happen. That's, right. that's just what right. I believe, you know. But that's, that's an awesome story. Okay, now, now, you know, I love me some Maxwell. When y'all played the Civic Center before <laughs> it closed down, please tell me about playing with Maxwell.
1: Uh, incredible experience. You know, there there are a few people that I have either met or have seen that are like, I feel like they were really born to be on stage. Mm-hmm. Like Like, I think all of us do. Do great in our craft, mm-hmm. but there's certain people like, like, did your mom like? W- were you conceived on stage? Were you born like on the stage? Like, <laughs> yeah, like he's one of the, he's one of those guys. Like, if, if you saw him in person or you met him backstage, you know he's real subdued, and real cool. But when you see him on stage, it's like it's like James Brown reincarnated or something. <laughs> you know, doing these splits and all this crazy acrobatic stuff. I was like, man, I didn't know that. Right. And, uh, and he was just really cool. I tell you a, a funny story because we have another great musician friend of ours that's playing bass with him now from Atlanta. Uh, Dale Freeman is playing.
0: Bass I love Dale Freeman. Brother.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he's doing the gig now. Okay. But, uh, before we, I think we did, we did Amsterdam and we did Africa and then we did, um, an entire tour of the States. Right. Um, uh, and this was his comeback tour after, in 2008 after mm-hmm. he had a seven-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the funny stories is we always get back to stage and pray before we go out to do the show. And one of these particular times, I just happened to be standing by Maxwell. You know, we we're all holding hands. And he, man, and Max would be playing music backstage and you know, burning incense and everything. And he looked at me and said, man, you not nervous? He's not nervous. Like, he, he, like he's a nervous wreck back there. <laughs> For real? Oh no, yeah. I, I was like, man, I said, I can't believe this dude is nervous. But when that, when those stage lights hit, mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody command the stage like that. Wow. It's absolutely unbelievable. I was like, this is the same guy that said he was nervous a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> like you got the. Uh, all of these people eating out of the palm of his hand on this show. Oh, yeah, because everybody
0: loves Maxwell. And, and see, everybody's sending all that love and positive energy toward that stage. So, good grief. He's just amazing.
1: Yeah, super nice guy, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there were times on the bus. I remember one time everybody was asleep. And he and I were in the uh, the little front lobby of the bus. Um, and, man, we must have talked for Two hours
0: straight. Wow!
1: So that's very memorable too. Just real, really cool,
0: down to earth guy. Wow!
1: And the thing is, he had his own bus,
0: and he rode so the bus he, with you. He you had you had all
1: bus out with us. Oh, so really cool.
0: yeah! I kind of heard that through the grapevine. He loves his musicians. You know, he 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 doesn't set himself apart from no. you know, like I'm the star, y'all the band. He likes to just hang out. He's a cool guy like that.
1: Oh, very much so. Yeah. Very much so experience.
0: Wow. Okay, so tell me about playing with I ain't missing you at all. <laughs> John, John love that song.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a fun that was uh I was in John Wait's band for about four years. I mm-hmm. think uh, two thousand two to two thousand six. Wow. I got that gig there's a uh a monster guitar player from my hometown here in Birmingham. His name is Damon Johnson and uh he stays on a big rock and roll gig. He's done Finn, Lizzy. I think he's doing uh, uh, Leonard Skinner right now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, he was doing John Waite, and he just thought that that would be a great fit. And we had a little rehearsal here in Birmingham, and the rest was history on that one. And all of a sudden, we were on a tour opening for Kansas and Sticks. And, oh, And, and that, that was a fun gig for me because... uh I've always, you know, people look at me as this jazz or funk or gospel guy, Mm -hmm. but I've all, you know, so that was so natural for me, but from a cultural standpoint, it was fun for me because a lot of the venues we're playing, I'd be the only black guy in there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't mean the only black guy on stage. I mean, the only
0: black Black guy, guy, period, period, audience. (laughs) You know, wow! So I realized
1: how blessed I was to be able to go in some places as a musician that you typically wouldn't see us in. So, oh,
0: wow! So, so kind did, of
1: ground- did you
0: experience any kind of you know racial stuff? No, nothing cool.
1: Hey, we we uh, in our society we may experience. We know as black people we experience all kind of uh, racial things that go on but the one thing about music it seems to be the, the one thing that brings all of us together yeah you know when people see you up there playing their favorite song that's the last thing on their mind
0: exactly that's why i love music so much it's the you know universal healing you can have through music everybody can Absolutely. relate to a particular song or a chorus of a song and it makes people feel good so I, that's music is yeah. powerful Yeah. yeah Absolutely. Brilliant. So man, that was that was a long that's a long gig you had with John Waite and playing with Kansas yeah. and Sticks, all those type guys. I bet you made all kind of new friends yeah. and you know, exposed to a whole lot on a different, you know, genre. Yeah,
1: I mean I played with all your favorite eighties M T V rockers. Like Journey.
0: Oh my board. god, did you play with Journey? We
1: did I don't think Journey oh, we never bought Journey. Okay. You know? I love those guys. Me too.
0: Um, and I just heard that they
1: have a new album coming out, and Randy Jackson is playing bass on it. What? You know, he toured with them in the 80s. On I bass.
0: did not know that. Okay.
1: Oh, I tell, another interesting story. Okay. My 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 dad, you know, being you know a monster bass player in his day, he had a band called Tidal Wave. Now, this mm-hmm. is once he at Lush, Louisiana. Randy Jackson is from baton rouge louisiana and he and my dad were in rival band wow <laughs> that's funny huh?
0: That is funny yeah
1: but Randy, randy's a bad
0: boy yes he is he's a bad boy and so is sean michael ray <laughs> you know um man th- that's amazing you're just a musical family and you know this this um gift that god has blessed you with because i know you love the lord um, you mm-hmm. know, has taken you around the world so many times on some of the biggest stages in the world. And that's what an what an incredible journey you're having. OK, now tell me a little bit about playing in Africa. Where did you go in Africa? How how did the um how did the Africans, you know, uh, accept and how 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 did they perceive the music? And just a little bit about that.
1: Well, I've been there quite a few times. Wow. I can't. Remember for the life of me what city this was. I played there with Maxwell. Oh, okay. I've played, um, there a couple of times with Gerald Albright as Mm -hmm. well. And seems like there was one somebody else, but, um, I get, I, I, know Cape Town was one of the cities and, um, dang, Tony, it, hey, I'm 55 now. That's
0: okay. <laughs> and, you know, age is relative. Remember. My daddy is 88, so he thinks that we're young. So it's just, <laughs> you know, it's all in who you're talking to.
1: Yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember.
0: That's story, okay. But
1: it, but it was great. But it was great. It feels. It feels like. And, and I really, I'm really sincere when I say this. It feels like you return home.
0: And see, that's...
1: They they greet you that way.
0: I have heard so many people say that.
1: They actually say Welcome home.
0: Wow. Okay, You just
1: kind of go through your whole body when you say
0: that. I was just going to say, is it because they say welcome home that if you feel like home or would you have felt like home if they had just said nothing? Just, you know...
1: All all of the above.
0: All of the above. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh man, I guess one day I'll get to hopefully I'll get to go to Africa, the motherland. Okay, now you know I love me some Sheila E. How did you get that gig and and how was it playing with that incredible woman?
1: Well, I never I never really had Sheila's uh gig.
0: Oh, okay. It
1: was one of those uh one off. Okay. Um into Atlanta and uh, I got a it was me, Little Jordan Roberts, Bill Davis, um, the guy who was playing guitar. And this was at the Main Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, theater. And that was just a one-night-only
0: thing. Okay. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Okay, I bet it was. Man, she's on fire. Okay, so now this is interesting. I didn't know a lot of things that you did as far as movie soundtracks. That's that's huge. That's a whole nother level of, you uh-huh. know. Artistry and everything. So you played on movie soundtrack, First Wives Club. I saw that movie. I like that movie. Ghost yeah. of Mississippi, B five, Hannah Montana soundtrack. That is so awesome. Tell me about any of that. That's, yeah, all that's, of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: that's <laughs> Hannah Montana, it, uh, uh, Kitty Kitty record back then. But uh, yeah, but that's the only, probably the only platinum record I've ever played. <laughs> wow. Uh, Andrew Lane I don't know whether you know him he lived in Atlanta I do know
0: Andrew long. Lane I remember him
1: yeah he he produced a track on that record and gave me the call for that one wow um, the group was uh, a little boy group called b5
0: b5 I remember b5
1: yeah they did an earthland fire remake and we played and that was on the of Montana soundtrack, they did so.
0: star right
1: yeah exactly exactly wow and, the other the other things, uh, first Wives Club, and um, what was the other? Um, I think the, those other Ghost of soundtrack- Mississippi.
0: That movie yeah, I've Ghosts- seen. Yeah,
1: go ahead. Yeah, that was you know, Ferris stuff. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I, her in the in the mid nineties.
0: Yeah, and uh, I saw I saw stuff. you all on um, Saturday Night Live. I taped it. I had them <laughs> on my VCR <laughs> for the longest until they went out of you know they went out of uh, time, date, whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: hilarious. from the old video
0: recorder. Yeah, that was cool. That was way, yes. way, way, way cool. Okay, so yeah. like I said, I, you know, you play, you played all genres. Norman Brown, jazz, you know, with your Boy Eric Essex, and everything. You played funk. You played um gospel. So, is it is it? Do you find it being a difference when you're playing with a Juanita Bynum, um type of you know artist, um, when like, or when like when you playing with Maxwell, is it like a difference playing with the gospel artists and the secular music, or is it all the same? How is it for you?
1: To be honest, Tony, it's a difference playing with everybody. To me, uh-huh. from from you to Maxwell uh, to Gerald right to Eric Essex Alex Munoz, I mean. Because each artist has particular things that they like to hear, mm-hmm. particular things they don't want to hear. Right. So I, I don't think about it as, as much as far as being genre specific as I think about getting in tune with what the artist wants. Right. There's a certain kind of way you like your music, you know, a certain kind of way you want it to feel. You know, some people are really particular when I get to this verse. I mean, I want y'all to come down, break down for the verse. You know, and you know tempos. Certain people like tempos a little faster than their album tempos. Yeah. So just have to um, kind of get in tune with the artist. I, I mean, as far as the genres, I mean, I grew up listening to all of that stuff, so it, it it's no problem for me to shift gears from playing rock to funk to gospel. I mean, it's all in me. Yeah, it but is. It depends on who the artist is and what they like to do. Like, you brought up that Sheila E. gig, for instance. Right. Like, Little John Roberts and Phil Davis had done her gig quite a few times. That's the only time I had ever done it. She's a a Prince protege. Mm
0: -hmm. And she
1: had things that she does on her gigs that mean different things. Like, like she might say, A. And A doesn't mean play the note A. A means there's a certain lick when she calls A. It's like a, a Minneapolis lick, right? And she'll say B, and B is another lick. It's it's that Minneapolis call. stuff. and she'll say C, and C is another lick, right? <laughs> so you got to play all these licks that correspond with the letters that she calls. That was that was that was challenging. Wow. And, and she might call them in any particular order. She might say C, hey, <laughs> and you got to play the. <laughs> so that, that was pretty challenging.
0: Because i was no, just going to ask you, who was your most challenging um, tour, or the most challenging artist, or you know, what? Who was it?
1: Uh, I would put I would put Sheila right up there because oh. she has some subtleties and stuff in her music. Mm-hmm. You have to pull off right on the fly.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's it's a it's a call and response thing. So it you know that's probably the closest that I have ever come to playing with somebody like Clint. Yeah. You know, you know, you, you see these old um, videos of James Brown where he's talking to the band and calling stuff. So mm-hmm. Hit me, right? <laughs> kind of like that. You know, it's it's one of those things where you never get a chance to. Well, I shouldn't say relax in the music, but you just always have to have your head on your head and your ears on the swivel because something can happen differently at any moment you know, playing smooth jazz or something like that, you either memorize the song or you got the chart and you know it's going to go exactly like it is. Right. You know, but there's a lot of improvisational stuff that could happen playing with somebody like Sheila. E.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, so... Um, like, okay, when you played with Maxwell, was he? is he the type of artist that pretty much does the same format night after night? Or does he just, you know, change it up in sporadic and you, you never know. You have to be on top of your toes because you never know what he might pull out. The- <laughs> um,
1: is he that type? It, it, his show, we, we had a show carved out. Mm-hmm. The blueprint of a show. But inside of the show, there was room for improvisation. Improvisation, okay. if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, there's stuff he can do inside of the show. And, and and just like I was explaining about Sheila E., he has that same kind of thing where, you know, like when we did, for instance, when the cops come calling.
0: Oh, I love that song.
1: Yeah. Uh, or, or, until the cops come knocking. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. sorry. I knew and, what you were talking about.
1: There was a little super sexy part of the show where it breaks down and he does all of these. Well, you saw it, Tony. Yeah, I
0: (laughs) saw it. You know, yeah.
1: And then he might come out of that and say, hold up one finger. And that means hit me one time. Mm -hmm. Then he might hold up five, and you got to hit him five times. But you got to know what the rhythm of the five hits are. Right. His could be pop 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 bop. Or it could be bop, 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 bop. You know, depending, you know. Yeah. So, always those little things. That, and you, and here's the funny thing. This is what I used to experience on the show with Max. Depending on, because I was on a riser behind him. Mm-hmm. The, your vantage point of the where you're looking at him when he holds up his hand. Mm-hmm. You might not see the front of his hand or the back of his hand. You might see the side of his hand. And you trying to get your head on the swivel to see, man, how many fingers is he holding up?
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you on the big stage? You like I can't miss these hits. Well, yeah. I can't tell
0: how many fingers he's
1: holding up. <laughs> so, did,
0: uh, did y'all ever have any train wrecks on stage? Uh, no, I
1: think we, I think we were there. I okay. mean, because his hand, you just kind of break your neck and get to a position where you can try to see how many fingers he's holding up. But, but it has you on edge though.
0: Yeah. Wow, whoo! I just that story just kind of had me on edge. I'm, you know, visualizing you up there trying to see the fingers and him doing the hits. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and I don't think I don't think people think about that. You know, a guy yeah. just holds, holds up, you know, three fingers or whatever. He's like, oh yeah, man, the whole band sees that. But depending on where you are on the stage,
0: yeah,
1: you might see the side of his hand.
0: Exactly.
1: And, you can't tell how many fingers that is. I know.
0: Okay, so what's the most fun you you have on stage? Is it when you're doing your own stuff? We're going to get to that in a minute. Or is it when you're playing with one of your favorite artists or just your friends? You know, what's been your most fun tour or, you know, uh, artist that you played with? Tell me about that because that's always important too. Um, I wouldn't say there was a particular artist. Mm -hmm. I just
1: The music feels good, and I'm able to play functional bass in the rhythm section. And what I mean by that is we're in an age now where, you know, in smooth jazz, you got so many guys that come up front and play bass and play lead bass, and the bass player is soloing, and we're in the age of bass solos, and all of that is cool. But there's nothing that turns me on more than just playing bass on a song. I mean, functional bass with the rhythm. Station. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just, I just like playing the groove more than anything else. That's what feels good to me. Right. That's what I about Verdine. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you very seldom would ever see Verdine take a solo. He's just playing some of the greatest bass lines of all time. Mm hmm. The one fans of all time, and it just feels good. That, that was a particular, um, emphasis for me playing with Maxwell because it's tailor-made for a bass player. It's mm-hmm. just all bass lines all night long from top to bottom.
0: Yeah.
1: It felt good to me, you know?
0: Yeah. So so for you, it's more about the feel. It's got to feel good in the pocket with the groove and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: definitely. Wow. That is... You, you, you're right on. I mean... I, I get it, because music, is all about the feeling and the emotion that you put in it. And when you're doing music and it feels good, man, you just, whoo, that's one of the best highs you can have.
1: I'll tell you something interesting about that, Tony, not to get too far off course, but, you know, the facet of us as musicians that most people see are when we're on stage and when we're playing with whoever we're playing with, but they sometimes forget we're just regular people like them. Yeah. You know, we're going through the same trials and tribulations that everybody else does. You know, um, you know, we've lost close friends to us, lost family members. Uh, we, we've, we've gone through heartbreaking relationships.
0: Yeah. And
1: a lot of times we're going through that stuff while we're still performing. Yeah. So the thing, the is we're, we're coming on stage and we're trying to bring a whole lot of joy to the people that come out that particular night. Exactly. And it's, it, uh, they don't realize sometimes the hurdles and the barriers we have to get over to bring joy to them, because we might not be feeling joy at that moment. You got
0: that right.
1: We we might be feeling heartbreak, but we're trying to bring you joy. hmm I don't think people realize that. You know, we it, it's, we get over a whole lot to bring bring that music to them and to make them uh, feel good. Yeah. Because that's, that's not necessarily the way we feel every time we go up there.
0: Exactly. But we have to, we like, like I go within myself and find that little place where I always feel happy because if you're up there and you're not feeling it, the audience can see you like, you know, Windex see through you. I mean, and that's not a good thing. So, you you know, we have to always be on.
1: Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Then you find, just like you said, you find that place that you, there's a place that we know we can always go to for that, 45 minutes or that 75 or that 90, we know for that point in time, we can be locked in. Yes. And then when you leave the stage, it's like, okay.
0: Exactly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, so how has being a full-time musician really affected, like, your relationships? Because you'd be gone so much and, you know, See people don't understand when you when you're a musician or an artist or whatever we love it, and unfortunately, for what i've truly found out i'm i'm not sure if this is true for you um that's really my first love, and so uh that's something I had to come to terms with um I mean, I love a lot of things, but Music is, you know, first, first of all, God is my first love, but music is my second love. I love music, and I know you do, too. So how has being a full-time musician affected, you know, would you say it affected a lot of important relationships in your life?
1: Uh, I'm sure it has at some points. Um, I guess being with a musician is not for everybody.
0: Right. The you say that back. one more time for the people in the back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Tony, you know, we, we, we both have mutual friends like like Melly Baldwin.
0: Yeah, we have been married to
1: you know a wonderful woman for a long time. Yes, it just it just
0: looks so, they make it look so seamless. They do, and Kelly O'Neill as well. Yeah, and his wife, it's, right?
1: It's so, and you wish that that was. Plight for everybody, right? It's not that's not everyone's journey.
0: That's not everyone's journey.
1: So you try to uh, uh, hope find (laughs) find the right chemistry with someone, and 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 it's a smooth ride. But uh, it's just not for everybody, and and some people adapt to it right off the bat. Yeah, you know, it's it's that's another part of the journey
0: yeah it is it really is but hey it is what it is <laughs> we're just gonna keep it moving okay so what took you so long to do your uh first record uh entitled your first real uh solo um, entitled Overdue with world class producers Kelvin Wooten and Hart Ramsey. Now you done played with Lottie Dottie and every dern body, but it took you so long to do your own one. Tell me why and how did you feel and how is it when you're doing your own music?
1: Um, well, you know <laughs> two of my best friends in the world are Eric Essex and, and Kelvin Wooten. Yeah. And was the guy that spurned me on to to do a project because I wasn't really thinking about doing a record he's like man you need to do a record and people would always ask me at shows I'm on a show Kelly has a CD PJ Spragans has a CD um, Eric has multiple CDs and and so people are looking at me like dude
0: where's your CD I
1: want to finally be able to answer that question
0: Yeah,
1: we started working on it and I, I didn't know who i was going to be on that record i mean there's a lot of different kind of stuff on there i just knew what i had seen bass players do around me in the jazz genre you know the bass is playing the melody and that kind of thing and so that's what kind of brought me to that point point. Mm-hmm. and um, uh, the last record in 2020 I'm starting to shift a little bit away from the instrumentals, and now I think I've finally found myself now so from from now so the instrumental thing is a thing of the past with me okay i'm not I'm not doing any more instrumental records okay because it took me a while to find out what my voice was, just like I told you the functionality of the bass yes, I, in the rhythm section, just mm-hmm. like Earthling, Cognito records and all that fun stuff. So that's what I want to do. I want to make records with great vocal songs, you know, I have guest vocals. Yeah. And um I'm going to play bass, bass.
0: I love vocals. it. I absolutely yeah. love it. And so your sophomore CD um was came out in December 2020. It was called uh, Rebirth. So all your stuff is available on Sean Michael Ray Bandcamp.com. Is that right? That's
1: right. That's
0: okay, right. awesome. Okay, now When I was uh, earlier talking to you earlier, you were playing with Yolanda Adams. Ooh, that woman is a beast. Tell me about how you got that gig and how was it playing with Yolanda?
1: Well, once again, it's not like I'm in her band. right? But I've been working with this um, orchestra conductor since the 80s. 80s, uh, His name is Dr. Henry Mm Pannell. He has a crew of musicians and singers that he uses on all of his stuff. Okay, And we've done and Gospel Goes Classical with uh, Juanita Bynum, Jonathan Butler. We've done Kirk Carr. We've done the Clark Sisters. Wow. Um, we've done uh, India Re. Love her. Uh, um, just so many people. Now, this is with a full orchestra. Though.
0: Whoa.
1: And rhythm section. And so Sunday before last, we were with the Nashville Symphony Orchestra, and that's what that Yolanda Adams show was. Okay. So thing that Dr. Henry Panyon is involved in, he usually has us um, as the rhythm section. And he has a group of about four or five singers that he uses as well mm-hmm. uh, when you, as he's conducting the orchestra. The World Games are coming to Birmingham this summer. And we're playing the opening and closing ceremonies for, for those. So we're about to start rehearsals for that as well.
0: That's amazing, Sean. Well, one thing about it, you stay... Locked and busy and, um you know, in your craft and doing what you love is such a blessing. You love the Lord and he loves you right back because he's enabling you to make your living and have your life with, you know, what you love. And it's just been amazing. Uh, Sean, listen to you talk. I know you got a million more stories, you know, and um, and everything but I don't want to wear you out, but I have really enjoyed talking with you. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Any Another little tidbit, a story, or anything else before we wrap it up? Because you can tell me another good story if you want to. <laughs>
1: well, well tell me, I'll just say this. It's been a fun and an honor to be on the podcast. And the only other thing that I want to talk about is, uh, is actually a question. Okay. When are we doing a new record?
0: <laughs> Ooh, well, you know, I tell you, the pandemic i really felt the pandemic uh like everybody else did so i was you know i've been thinking about that i was thinking about possibly an EP instead of a whole record
1: well you know well you know with me money is no object
0: I know you're so sweet, I know you you're the best, I love you for that, you know, um, but you know what i've been contemplating that, and I was just telling my sister, you know the creative process sometimes it can be dormant in you um and everything, but now it's like all of a sudden songs are starting to come come to me, so I'm thinking that. Uh, It's time for me to get back into the studio. Now, I have, uh, well, it's not about me, but, yeah, we're going to do it. Um, And, of course, you're going to be on my record. So let's do this. (laughs)
1: Let's Let's
0: go. Well, Sean, I just appreciate you taking time out talking with me. This has been amazing. You are amazing. You know, you don't know, but you're one of my favorite people on the planet. You always have been. And I just appreciate you so much. And I'm so thankful that, you know, God is blessing you and everything's just moving. So, you know, in such a good light for you and just, you know, pray that God continues, which I know he will. And we're going to see each other real soon because we're going to be working together. So uh, I love you and thank you so much for the interview. Thank you, Tony. For Yay. Thank you, Sean. Okay. All right. All right. That was my incredible interview with bassist Sean Michael Ray, and uh, he was amazing, and I'm thanking, thanking uh, him and everybody for listening, and I hope you all enjoyed it. And remember, a day without music is unnecessary. That was the audition Red Room.